Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. Hello, this is episode 137 of the Uncapped Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today we're at Union Craft Brewing in Baltimore, Maryland, sitting with Adam Benish, well, the three founders, Adam Benish, Kevin Blodger, and I forgot to make sure I knew how to pronounce your name correctly, John Zerveritz. Zerveritz? You say it. Zerveritz. That was close enough. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen, for uh, spending some time with me. The only person I know with Z is the first and last letter of the name. Oh, that is unique. Interesting trivia. The only person you know. Mm -hmm. You can add that. Do you guys host like the Beer Night Trivia? No, here. but if we ever do, that's going to be the bonus question. Yeah, <laughs> for all the marbles. All right, so actually, this is, I finally have collected all of the founders of Union, because John did not stand me up this time. Right. Um, so tip, both of these gentlemen have given us their backstory. Um, I've never received yours. Hmm. So we'll, we could do the normal... What were you doing before you decided that you wanted to open a craft brewery? And how did you land to uh, going into business with these two gentlemen? Um, So I got into graphic design um, shortly after college and started doing freelance design um, and uh, was a temp in design. So bouncing around um, in-house design departments and then uh, eventually landed at T. Rowe Price in their art department and um, stayed there for six years. So did you get to do a lot of like people looking happy standing by different uh, tons of stock, stock <laughs> photography, um, retirees jogging on the beach together, you know, um, that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, did that for six years. Um, and never really felt completely comfortable with the direction I was heading in my career. Um, corporate life wasn't really for me. Being forced to be creative from nine to five wasn't really for me. Um, I imagine it was kind of hard to be creative also. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. You're very restrained. Yeah. Um, but I learned, a, I learned a lot about, you know, just the kind of general rules of branding and design. Um, so it was really all in all a great experience. Um, and without that experience, it wouldn't have led me to the next step. Um, so I had been interested in beer forever. Um, you know, since, since I had my first beers or, you know, early on, um, my college experience wasn't typical in that, um, I went to the university of Massachusetts and, um, I fell in with, um, a social scene where we drank relatively good beer. Um, at the time, Berkshire Brewing Company was, you know, up and coming, and that was the good local brewery. And we would when, get- when I was in college, the people who drank the good beer, it was it was Rolling Rock. Oh, that was the good beer? So, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was the good beer. Yeah. <laughs> so I had some formative beer experiences in college with, with local breweries, and we would have, like, black and tan parties, and all, all of that kind of piqued my interest in it. Um, when I moved back to Baltimore, um, I kind of fell in with trading beers um, in the kind of the early trading scene, um, being online and getting into the beer advocate community and things like that. Um, and um, through uh, a friend, a mutual friend of um, myself and Adam was getting married and we were sat at the same table at the wedding 
and um, Adam and I started talking about beer and he was um, collecting a lot of beers and trading for beers as well and so we just thought we should get together and drink beers together um, through those and we would do that weekly so through those weekly sessions he told me about his buddy Kevin um, who had become a professional brewer right out of college and um, we wanted a local brewery that represented more of the uh, beer styles that we were interested in and um, had a brand that we could get behind um, and no one had opened a new brewery in 30 years in Baltimore um, I was unsatisfied in my career and ready to make a big step um, Adam was kind of in the same boat um, and um, we thought if we could get Kevin on board the three of us can make a go at, go at, go of it here in Baltimore um, and that's basically how it happened so when you guys opened there would have been Brewers Art uh, Duclaw I guess it's heavy seas is kind of Baltimore. Yeah, heavy seas more or less. Hard. More. Is there anyone else? Is that? Oh, um, Oliver's. Oliver's. Yep. Sure. Yep. So there were a couple of brew pubs, Brewers Art, doing great Belgian styles. Oliver's doing what they were doing on Pratt Street. Um, and we, I remember, we kept thinking like, why isn't this happening? Why is there nothing in Baltimore City? And that was one of the things that kind of got us going and got us thinking about we can do something in Baltimore City. And there were things all around the county in different areas of Maryland, but no one had really taken that step to, you know, plant their flag here in Baltimore. And they were they were all kind of different, although I'm 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 very unfamiliar with what Union was like when you first opened. So I really have no idea like what was the beer philosophy when you first opened? Was it all I think it's the same philosophy we still have now to make these kind of you know, drinkable, approachable beers that can be appreciated by a, a novice beer drinker and also, uh, you know, a beer geek and also kind of drink them and, and appreciate what we're doing. Um, and I think you see that, especially in our core lineup of the beers that we have. They're all, I think, you know, I'll toot my own words, I think they're all well-made, easy to drink, um, but very sophisticated beers at the same time. Easy to drink as beach drink is? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um and I would agree with that also, because as I was just telling you, I, it's one of your newer ones, but even I, there's several years older in the catalog that I love. But Divine is just an absolutely amazing drinkable beer. That, has, is that a beer that was worked on for a while or like yeah, that you were developing the, over a long period of time? Or was that like, a, hey, I have an idea and then? No, it was, it was a little bit of both. We knew we wanted to do a year-round IPA at some point. We'd only done seasonal IPAs. Um, and so we... Uh, just kept messing around with it. We, we, we got to brew test batches. We had kept the old spots. We could do test batches there. So we kept doing this beer and releasing it and kind of tweaking it every time, figuring out the yeast. Um, it was a really cool process to kind of play and develop this beer over probably, what, over about a year it took to, to mm -hmm. before it became full-time. Um, and it, it was really cool because that's the first time we've ever really been able to do something like that. A lot of times we'll brew something and then we'll slightly tweak it the next brew and slightly tweak it. But this time there was no pressure. Let's just get the beer right and figure out how we want to do it before we launch it as a brand. So, John, the you do, I mean, obviously from your background and what you brought to the trio, I, I would imagine the marketing. Correct. So and I, what I've always thought was really interesting about the three of you is that you kind of have every pillar that a successful brewery needs to have. Like, you read all the articles about 
people should not be so quick to jump into opening a brewery just because they enjoy brewing beer because they have no idea how to market. They have no idea how to run a business like Adam's uh, history has. And so it was kind of unique how the three of you joined together kind of like Voltron to yeah I mean form. that's exactly right and I think that's what made us comfortable with the with the idea of of doing this together um is that we trusted that he, you know each founder had had their their corner um to to take care of and um the skill set to to be um successful at it so how I don't remember at all if we've discussed this at and previous episodes I've recorded together. How involved are Adam, you, Adam and John with the designing of beers and the, that aspect of it? Or is that mainly left to Kevin and his team? I think we talk about it. We have discussions about what we're looking for in a beer and what we think the beer should be. Um, and then kind of from there, we'll, I'll design a recipe and we'll kind of run from there. Um, but it's a lot of, we, we have these meetings every Friday, these new beer projects where we kind of talk about what are we looking for, what, what's our next move, what's our direction, and then we'll kind of go from there. So if John came to you and said, hey, Kevin, you know it would be really awesome if we brewed a beer with marshmallow cereal and some other stuff he thrown in there. He brought that up last week, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still pushing for it. You know, John came to me about a beer we brewed last week over at the Old Spot, a pear saison. He had this idea for a really long time that to do a kind of traditional saison with some pear in it, um, and we were able to get that in the tank. So, yeah, everybody has an idea, and we try and get them done. Having the smaller system to kind of pilot stuff has, has been cool, because anybody here can have an idea, and we can, we can, for the most part, make it over there. Are you going to continue to hold on to that? Because I remember the last time we talked, you weren't sure what the future of that. I'm still not sure what the future okay. is. <laughs> it's, we, I think we've... Um, really appreciated the the having that option mm -hmm. you know as kevin mentioned in the past we didn't really have the flexibility to test brew a batch multiple times and so having that has really opened our eyes to like this is a great thing to really drive innovation drive uh, allow us to create beers that we can't do in the big system but also allow us to iterate on things that we know what we're trying to get right and tweak it along the ways uh over there before we bring it over to the to the bigger spot it's it's also allowed us to um open some things up to our staff. Um, so we, the Rough Drafts program, a, a lot of it is driven by empowering pretty much anyone on our entire staff to submit a recipe idea, partner up with a brewer, um, and if we you know, decide that that's a good idea to move forward with, then they head over to the, to the small system and go ahead and brew it. Um, so that's that's just a great um, you know company culture asset that we have. That's right, cool. right there. Do you have that open to podcasters? Um, yeah, we we don't have a podcast program okay. yet, um, but you know, coming coming soon. <laughs> so, it, do you have any thoughts or plans of moving that system over to here or just keeping it? We've got there? our old space. Um, you know, we're still tied up in a lease there for another year. Plus, right. so you have a while to. Have a, you have to yeah. worry about that. Yeah, and, and we've kind of left it open. As, let's see how this goes, and I think we've um, grown fond of having that, and so it could see us figuring out a plan to kind of hopefully, whether it's there or somewhere else, have that type of a system somewhere to allow us to play around on it. So you're coming up on the one year anniversary of moving into this yeah, location. Kind of crazy. 
Um, do you want to talk about what you have planned for the party a little bit? Yeah. Um, so our annual anniversary party is coming up. Uh, it's our seventh anniversary party, July 27th, 6 p.m. Um, it's going to be another incredible bash that we throw. Um, we will have uh, several great music acts. So we're, our headliner is the Budos Band uh, out of Brooklyn, New York. It's like an Afrobeat funk collective Um Really incredible band that we're really excited to have. Been wanting to have them for years. Um, opening up for them is Yellow Dubmarine, which is a local reggae Beatles tribute band. Um, some That's an interesting combination. It is. Uh, <laughs> you should check them out. They're actually really, really talented. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone loves the Beatles, so you can just kind of connect with the music right away. Um, in our tap room, we're going to have the That's hot not true, though. I actually work with one of the weird people in existence that don't like the, like the Beatles. Dislikes yeah, like it's the not Beatles. Everyone. Yeah. And I, I how do you dislike the well, Beatles? And that's like normally I would say, okay, that's a personal preference thing, but I like I, I kind of like I got into an argument with her. I was like, okay, have you listened to everything? Because <laughs> depending on which album, it's not the same band. Right. How can you just blanketly say, I don't like the Beatles? Everything they make is garbage. But she claims that everything she just doesn't like them. So I told her she was wrong. And she may like them that. better in dub style. She might like yeah. the dub <laughs> reggae version of all the songs. So bring her. Bring her <laughs> with you. Um, in our tap room, we're going to have the Hot Club of Baltimore, which is like this kind of Django, Reinhardt, Gypsy Jazz um, that they're going to kick it off. And then uh, we've got uh, James Nasty, who's the best DJ in Baltimore, um, just kind of throwing it down. It's like a dance party in here. Um, got so many great uh, local food vendors. Um, Woodbury Kitchen group will be doing our VIP buffet um, out in the parking lot. We'll have Clavel, Eki Ben, uh, Local Oyster, uh, Well-Crafted Kitchen, uh, Balti Marin, which does some really great macarons for dessert. Um, I'm probably forgetting somebody, um, but tons of great local food. Uh, and then we're going to have... 50 plus beers on so it's oh, like wow. we dig deep into our cellar we make a ton of casks we've got special beers that are debuting that night so we've got an anniversary sour it's called nectar collector it's a peach sour coming out oh, nice. um, we're gonna have some um yet to be announced beers that are debuting uh, we've got a new double IPA coming out. They're get, it's called Yet to Be Announced. Oh, that is the, no, it's not. <laughs> what it, this would be a perfect time to announce it's it. Yet to be announced, hazy glitter cereal beer. <laughs> I'd, I've heard that Kevin is not in favor of those. Extra lucky charms in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's just a fantastic night to celebrate brewing in Baltimore, celebrate everything we've done. It's kind of like us taking a little victory lap that we successfully accomplished another year. But the bigger thing is just bringing everybody together for just like a fantastic night of celebrating. And uh, we love it. Yeah, I've never made it to one of your anniversary parties, but I've heard that they are even back to the old location. The, so you had four there and the fifth was here, right? No, no. The sixth six, was here. Five were there, yeah, six yeah. was here. Um, that they've all been amazing. They really have been fantastic. Um, you know, there's been lots of different things that have happened. Um, we had an epic flood one year, but it still ended up being a great party despite the, despite the calamity. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just keep building on them and building on them and, uh, they are fantastic and on their way to becoming the stuff of legend, I think. So speaking of digging into the vault and 
bringing out all these. Can I can I mention one gripe I have with you guys? No. It's okay. No, so <laughs> tune in next it, week. Yeah. And <laughs> and part two after part two of the other episode. The I mean I completely understand why why it's done and it makes sense, but stop releasing at beer festivals like what I want every hour. <laughs> like I just I just want to come and get it all at one time. But we only do that at one beer festival. No, two of them. Oh, do we? I think. Oh, we do it at yeah, Baltimore, it and Baltimore and that and the Frederick one. Yeah. I mean, you can keep doing it at the Baltimore one because I don't always go to that festival. Okay. But for Frederick, yeah. no, Frederick, yeah. Okay. Just to, or at least have them just all ready so I can come by and get right. them all at one time. <laughs> there's there's only four taps there, and we have too many beers we want to share. There's special ones in the back or something. I hide them. You're I don't right. know. You're right. All right. <laughs> Noted. Noted. Put that in the Chris but Sands file. Yeah. And throw it away probably with the <laughs> podcast program suggestion. <laughs> and I'll never get any traction. I mean, I promise not to put like want to do anything that Kevin is morally against. I mean, if you wanted to put cereal in a beer... I'd probably say no, but we could figure out. Maybe glitter. Maybe glitter. Kevin's morals are pretty flexible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Last I checked. How many beers have I had when you asked me the question? It's a sliding yeah, scale. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's uh, three weeks from now? Two weeks from now? Three. I don't three, even know what day three, it is. Three. July 27th. July 27th, July 27th Saturday mm-hmm. night, is the... Uh, a celebration. So people have plenty of time to get tickets. Please get your tickets it'll today. Be a good, it'll be a good one. <laughs> VIP almost sold out. The, um, on your website, I assume. Yeah, you can go to our website, missiontix.com, um, you know, or Facebook event. What does the um, admission ticket get you? So you get uh, admission to the event, you get um, a commemorative glassware, and you get a single beer. Yep, your first beer is yeah. covered. Which I'll... I, th- I thought I'd seen one laying around, but the, the commemorative glassware is always pretty awesome. Yeah, it's They're always fun. Yeah, new glass every year. Cool design. And cool shirts, cool. not included in the price of the ticket. But no, extra, extra if you want the shirt or the poster. Poster? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> poster. The, um, do you do the design for the... I work with different, different designers every year. Um, this year and the fifth year we're both done by monica amnius who's done a bunch of work for us okay um i want to take a real quick break to thank our sponsors is that roast house pub good guess Uh as see someone listens Mm. john love roast house pub (laughs) um and then i want to talk a little bit more about uh your first year in your new home great cool A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. All right, gentlemen, so you've been in the collective for almost a year now, right? Or when when did you open? Cause we, yeah, right around a year. We, I guess, technically opened on Flag Day last year. Right. Around so June, June 14th, 14th, I want to say. I was going to say, you said that like half of anyone's going to know what day off the top of their head is Flag Day. You don't celebrate Flag June Day? 14th, no. Man, come ah. on. June 14th. <laughs> I was actually half expecting Graham in the background to yell what it is. <laughs> He's Googling it right now to confirm. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, because we were we were here shortly after. I don't think you had had the grand opening yet. No, we hadn't. Yeah. You had had the soft opening and mm-hmm. you walked us through, gave us a tour, and we recorded about it. So, how has the last year been? It's been fantastic. It's really been uh, eye-opening to see what this project can do, not just for us and for these other businesses, but for Baltimore and the community at large. And, um, you know, we had this idea to create this modern-day manufacturing center where a bunch of us can make what we make and also share it with the public. And it's been a fantastic first year getting to do that. So I would imagine that leading up to this, it, it had to have been considered quite a gamble because from the the magnitude that you were scaling up, um, when you were deciding, were you looking at it as like as a gamble, or was it there was no doubt in your minds that this was going to pay off? It's what you needed to do. Let's just do it. Uh, probably depended on the day, but uh, no <laughs> doubt it was a, a gamble, but also one that we felt confident about that we could you know continue to grow in a way that was smart and meaningful to us. Um, without getting too far ahead of ourselves. And so that was the tricky balance in anything you do, uh, to find that balance that is achievable, but still a strong goal to try to you know, work towards. And that's still what's going on today. You know, it certainly uh, uh, has not ended or is not yeah. satisfied, but we look at each year, and, and part of why we love celebrating for the anniversary each year is to celebrate one more year of, of making progress, which is what we try to do each year. And I mean, from from at least my vantage point where I can observe from, it looks like it paid off. Like you guys are extremely busy. Uh, it's anytime I hear someone stopping by and visiting, it's a very packed, uh, tasting room. So I'm, I'm assuming you made the right decision. So far so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It seems that way. You know, it's uh, we don't really love kind of getting comfortable, right? We always like kind of, what's what's next you know appreciate what's there and how, how we can make you it make better it, yeah. yeah well yeah i i like the addition to the um out outside the shade little yeah pagoda yeah i mean the place is it's, it's a work in progress and we're always improving and you know it definitely has new challenges that come up every day um not just for our brewery and our tap room but for the whole collective as a whole and you know um satisfying the demands of the pub general public and, you know, just trying to make the place more comfortable um, and uh, and just all around a positive asset for the city and the community that we're in. Um, so far, yeah, it's been, it's definitely paid off. It's been successful. I think we're really proud of it. Um, but we also know that we can't rest and that we have work to yeah. do. So. And there's nothing really like this near Baltimore, right? Like this is the, we were surprised that this doesn't exist. We were trying to find examples to kind of learn from and we couldn't find anything, uh, which was surprising to us because it didn't, maybe we're just in the area in the area or or outside of the area. Um, yeah. Adding in the collective part of it is very different, but even just like the, uh, like a destination type brewery where like you could theoretically come here and just spend a bunch of time because of all the amenities you have and the you have a large tap list. It's a nice facility, ample parking, all the things I look for whenever I want to go visit a brewery. Right, yeah. right. Maybe not ample enough, but we're trying. Does it get a little full? Gets full. Okay. Gets full quick. Yeah. 
but uh, we've got a lot going on. There's a lot of businesses, a lot of employees that work here. Um, so you think you've got this enormous, you know, parking lot, but it definitely fills up quick. Have all the different members of the collective, um, has that worked out well with, uh, have you collectively like raised everyone out? I think so. I mean, I love having them here. It's great to be able yeah. to go get great coffee, great ice cream when you want, go to the gym after the ice cream, um, stop by uh, Baltimore Spirits Company, uh, try their new stuff. Do you I, have that maple epic? I haven't had the Maple Epic yet. That's so good. I missed, have, I missed that one. I think that's the oh, only one that I missed. Was, that was, I, I could have brought a bottle. I have a bottle of that. I could have yeah. brought some. Because that, that, that's what we need to be doing. Yeah, I mean, well, all the... It's o'clock already. Everybody's, shots. Everybody here is doing great work. Um, whiskey companies, amazing stuff. Uh, the coffee events, awesome. Um, the Earth Trucks community, we love. And they support us. We support them. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's working out very well, I'd say. Yeah. And I, I liked um, this past Zay Day, where it, like, everyone kind of joined in on the celebration with the, uh, was it ninety nine? Ninety nine. Yeah. Everyone, every, everyone had a ninety nine cent something. I think other everyone brought something Zaydi related to the table. Yeah, that was that was cool. Which is fun, so, and that's one of the fun things that we love about what we get to do here is that there's all these great businesses, creative minds behind each one of them and uh, coming together, whether it's Zay Day or we did something fun on pajama pants or a bunch of fun, fun things planned this summer. My wife loves pajama pants. It's, it's hard not to. Uh, you know, that's what's fun about working with other great entrepreneurs that are creative and doing, making great things and doing great things in the community. It's hard to believe anyone who listens to this wouldn't know what Zay Day is, but because I, I just love the concept. I know what is Zay Day? Uh, Zay Day is uh, the birthday celebration of Zadie, who uh, is my grandfather and uh, the oldest brewery employee in America, maybe the world, we haven't proved that one yet, uh, but he comes into work uh, pretty much every day and folds every single box, case tray that our cans go in uh, and sits at a table and folds four to 600 boxes a day and goes home and has a bourbon and smokes a cigar and wakes up the next day and does the same thing. <laughs> um, it's not a bad life. No, it's pretty good. And does every case have his photo on it? Yeah, so was it for 98th? 98th. His 98th birthday, we uh, switched up the box and put his face in it, which is pretty funny when you walk by him uh, at work and he's just looking at his face all day holding <laughs> his box that has his face staring back at him. It, uh, that doesn't get old. It's, it's a pretty funny sight. The, it's the first thing anyone sees when they walk into my office. There's a right on the front of my desk is one of those boxes hanging. That's great. I mean, we love how he has become this mascot kind of for the, <laughs> for the brewery and you'll be out, um, you know, in town, walk into a liquor store and they have the case tray displayed somewhere, <laughs> you know, with his face on it. And we made stickers with his face on it and you're starting to see them all over the place, all over the country. You're starting to see his Zadie, Zadie face stickers. Yeah, I need some of those. Yeah, they're great. We also have the, uh, the first annual uh, Fox Folding, box folding competition uh, at Zadie this year. Which Did he win? He didn't. He, uh, he held pretty strong. He made it to the finals. Uh, <laughs> but he got beat by a guy who we've since hired. So figured if he could beat Zadie <laughs> at box holding, he deserved to work here. That was here. the interview. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's been a funny twist to it as well. Um, do you have something planned big for the uh, 100th? No. Uh, maybe. We, I don't know. We should get working on we that. We should get working on that. Yeah. I feel like that needs to be a, a pretty big Zay day. I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll be pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to let him retire ever? No, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is what keeps him going in a lot of things. He's yeah. coming here and hanging and with us every day. It is, um, our, our head of canning, uh, Mark, was um, traveling this past week and took some photos and videos of a, another canning line up at Treehouse, Treehouse app, actually, in, in Massachusetts. And I was showing it to Zadie just to show him what another canning line looked like. And he was like, how do they fold their boxes? I said, they have a machine. And he's like, there's a machine that can do this? I was like, no, there isn't. You, you need to keep doing it. I made that up. They're get only available work, in Massachusetts. So uh, get back to work. Ex- export laws. They can't pump them out. Right, right. I, I did notice, though, I saw him pedaling through the tap room that you haven't gotten him his battery-powered bike yet. He has one at home, actually. But at work, he likes to get some exercise. Okay. And he gets coffee brought to him every day. I, he does. I enjoy. He, he lives a good life. Our staff takes good care of Zadie. I enjoy Jenna's daily Instagram story of delivering coffee to him. Yeah. And great. he still seems surprised every day that it's showing <laughs> up. I think he's actually surprised because he just forgot about what happened yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's Groundhog Day every day for him. <laughs> so that when it, that's in uh, January. Okay. January 20th is his birthday, so it's usually right around there. So that means that things are going to start getting a little pricey. They're going to be a dollar. Up to a dollar. Yeah, we're excited every year that passes because, you know, (laughs) we we give away less black. (laughs) More profit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you're doing a lot more events now with with this location. Is that something you plan on increasing more, or are you at, like, the pace of events that you would like to have? Uh, you know, on-site events, we're still, we're still growing. I don't know that we've reached capacity yet. Um, you know, we're just trying to keep the place activated um, and diversifying what we can do. Um, you know, we're kind of expanding what union means to people and becoming, you know, more of a community hub, uh, but also trying to bring in more of, of a diverse audience to, to craft beer. Um, so, you know, we're always programming events. We kind of never stop doing that. It's a big part of, of our marketing play here. Um, Kevin, are you going to be at Fresh Fest again yeah. this year? Yeah, I'll be going up there. Cool. How was that last year? Uh, Fresh Fest was awesome. For, for people that don't know what Fresh Fest is, it's a, uh, a, a, I don't know how to describe it, a beer festival featuring black-owned breweries, black brewers, and then a lot of collaborations between African-American people in Pittsburgh and the breweries there. Um, it's a great festival. It's on August 10th this year. So Freshfest.com for tickets. A festival celebrating diversity in craft beer. Yeah, which is which is sorely lacking. And so it's cool to kind of do something like this. And um, last year was the first one, and it was one of the best-run festivals I've ever been to in my life. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what this year brings. Yeah, Mike Potter, one of the founders of it, seems like he, he has his... Uh, Act together. That sounds horrible. Not act together, but he he knows how to throw an event. No, he, they he, he, he works with uh, it's himself and a guy named Dave Bracy, and I can't remember the third guy's name. They're uh, the Drinking Partners podcast in Pittsburgh, um, and there they've they've put together this really professional, uh, well done festival that um, the Brewers Association is a sponsor, and he's got some big sponsors of, and uh, it's just a really cool festival in a beautiful location uh, in the city of Pittsburgh. So I'm looking forward to getting up there. Yeah, Pittsburgh is beautiful and much better than Baltimore. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think we're done here. Yes. <laughs> Can we find a Baltimore-centric podcast? <laughs> um, are all of you from the area? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Born and raised. I grew up in Baltimore County. 
Uh, this is John. I guess, Kevin, you were born in Baltimore, then moved to Virginia yeah. high mm-hmm. school or yeah, no. middle school? I think when I was like three, we moved down there. Yeah. Uh, John? Baltimore yeah. County, yeah. Always Mills, Pikesville. <clears throat> so what are, um, where do you see craft beer going in the, the near future, even long-term future? Um, wow, I mean, that's a tough question. The, you know, I don't think I could predict that we would be where we are today um, when we started the brewery. Um, and when I say that, I guess I mean um, that I think we've gone from this really um, a, a diversity in style to becoming more homogenous and uh, with the proliferation of so many breweries and yet everyone seems to be kind of going after like the same um sort of small niche um you know it's it, it's super hop driven it's the ipa it's the hazy ipa it's kettle sours i mean stuff that we love to make too but um we want to continue to have these you know a, a diversity um in, in what we produce um and so going down the road um i see there's going to be some shakeout here. Um, I don't think all the breweries are going to make it. Um, you know, I think we're, we're now in this period of the tap room only uh, brewery, um, and then multiple locations is the way to grow that. Um, I think we will start to see um, things start to head back into uh, into a direction that where where we've come from a little bit more I mean I certainly don't see the IPA or even the hazy IPA going away anytime soon um, but uh, I think the general craft beer consumer um, is gonna get fatigued of what's happening right now um, and start and start to demand uh, some more diversity what do you guys think will be <clears throat> do you agree with that John and Kevin um, well, no, I, I, I definitely agree with what John said. Um, and one of the things he mentioned, you know, the tap rooms, multiple locations, I, I worry, like, what does that mean for the future of, of tap rooms in general, right? The, the wholesalers and the restaurant associations are trying to find any way they can to come after breweries and kind of limit this growth that we're seeing because we're taking away from their bottom line. And there's a lot of these breweries now that are bypassing the distributorships. I've got this location here and I'm missing my beer here and some my beer here. And I feel like that's a weak spot for breweries that like, if they're not careful, the distributors are going to hop on that and say, well, why is this legal? Why can they do this? Why can they do that? And it's going to become restrictive for everybody. So it's, I think it's going to be, these next five years are going to be very interesting to see like where the industry moves. Is it going to be flavored malt beverages? Is it going to be hard seltzer? Is it going to be stuff like that? Is that going to drive growth or will beer drive growth? So I'm, I'm kind of like, my hands are kind of thrown up. I don't know where it's going, but I think what John said is a good, you know, a good barometer of where we're at right now. So do you think there will start, like, as John put it, I think you said shake out of <clears throat> some places not making it. Do you think that will happen? Or? It's, it's, it's hard to say, right? When you look at the numbers, you know, the Brewers Association numbers, right? 80% of the members of the Brewers Association are making 1,000 barrels or less. That seems pretty sustainable to me if that's your goal. If you yeah. can make 1,000 barrels and survive and pay your employees and take care of yourself, I don't think you're going to go anywhere. I think where you're going to start to see the shakeout is with larger breweries, um, some of the ones that are in 50 states, right? How can you sustain that when there's all these local breweries and it seems like local is ever more important for the consumer, be it food, be it beer, be it spirits? How can this brewery that's from Kentucky compete 
in Alaska when they have these breweries. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think so more that's where like, you're going to see. You're going to see start to see a lot of these big breweries kind of withdraw from certain areas and kind of shrink down in certain ways. The so. green flashes. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll see more of the green flash, and you'll see more of kind of, you know, the, the Ballast Point situation is interesting um, to see that they dumped all this beer recently and they're closing two locations. I mean, who would have thunk it four or five years ago when Sculpin was king of everything? Yeah that ballast point would ever be at this point. So it's interesting. Definitely not the people who paid a billion dollars. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think, um, do you think the days of acquisitions are over? Cause that there, it's been quite some time since there was one. And other bushes and the Miller cores kind of made their regional acquisitions that, that some of those have been very successful. Some of them have struggled. And so I don't know that you're going to see a lot of that. I think you'll always see opportunistic stuff, right? When something makes sense. And you've seen some of the Oscar Blues. The Canarchy. Canarchy yeah. made some kind of interesting acquisitions, which I think they're taking a nice approach to it. But there's only so many acquirers, right? There aren't 50 yeah. breweries that are out looking to acquire other breweries. There's only five or 10 at the most. And so I think you're not going to see the level of acquisitions that you saw two or three or four years ago. But there will always be things like Dogfish and Sam Adams and like some of the acquisitions that Canarchy has made. When it comes to Canarchy, do you, how do you view that? Because there are some people like online craft beer fans that take the stance that that also is, that's just as bad as AB and Bev buying them. They're big beer then. Um, do you, do you view that in the same light or differently because it's more of I mean it's kind of like it's just collective of yeah I, I don't have a negative as, as negative a viewpoint as I do on the on the AB and the Miller and I even in those instances right if we were a tech company and Apple bought us everybody would celebrate us right yeah but when you're a brewery and you sell to a big company and it's because of the history of what the big companies have tried to do to the small brewers yeah. that people have an issue with it but how can you be mad at Canarchy when yeah, they took some private equity, but so have a lot of other breweries. Yeah. Um, Dogfish Head did. Yeah, exactly. Um, then they see that to pay the piper when it came down to it. But they took some money, and now they're trying to grow, and they're growing by buying other smaller, smallish craft brewers. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I think with uh, an entity like Canarchy, you've got the the real kind of craft beer ethos stays intact through those acquisitions so the company cultures don't get eroded um the the identities of those breweries don't get eroded so they're just you know collectivizing the assets and the distribution and the buying power um and everybody benefits in that situation um you know if you're looking at the abi acquisitions you know, you're starting to see that like they've already destroyed some company cultures yeah. um, and some, you know, they, they they prioritize some brand this year over the other brands that they've acquired. Um, and uh, and that creates real problems, especially at, in their perception in the market. Um, and I don't think they can really overcome those. Um, I think Canarchy is a you know smart, smart way to do it if, if you're going to do it. But I, but I will say anybody that I know that's worked for a brewery that's been acquired by ABI seems to love it once they're there. Oh, and really? They drink the Kool-Aid <laughs> straight up. Everybody I know that stayed at one of those places has nothing but th- good things to say about what's happened to their brewery since, since they be. What, what do they love about it? I think just the opportunities that they get, the experience, um, 
the knowledge. Let's, I mean, we can't BS and say that they're not great brewers at Budweiser, right? Like yeah. the product they make, but they've got these great scientists that are making good stuff. So I think the, the yeah, access... they put more money and effort into... Yeah. No, they have the best research technology than, and yeah. Yeah. access to materials. Access to materials, knowledge. access to hops. You remember a couple of years ago when, you know, all the South African hops got snapped up. Um, and so they have this this unlimited access that you get and I think they pay well and I think there's all kinds yeah. of benefits that way, you know? So it, I've known people that jump ship immediately as soon as they came in. I've known people that stayed um, and the people that stayed seem to really, really love it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it kind of falls along the lines of what your, um, your personal opinions are, uh, towards AB and Bev and what they do for the beer industry. <coughs> So something I've always wondered, and maybe you guys have some insight from having contacts everywhere um, and being actually in the industry, when you had said something about culture being eroded, I've always wondered what happened to the culture at Lagunitas after Heineken purchased them because that seemed like um, the culture of Lagunitas seemed very in conflict of what I would imagine Heineken's is. Have you heard anything of that? Like, has it completely changed there or have they allowed them to be who they are? You know, I don't have any firsthand accounts of, of what that's like. Um, I can imagine though that there's, you know, such a separation between the philosophy that they had pre merger, um, and, and with this, the whole fact of merging with Heineken, um, it's it's so antithetical to everything that was said before that, that it would be pretty pretty disillusioning for anyone that you know was part of that yeah. you know pre-merger uh, culture. Um, so I, I mean I don't know what it's like today. Um, you know I know that they've said that that the partnership felt right for them and um, that Heineken is this family-owned you know business and that it, it, it was going to be a good fit um so i, I can't really speak to to what, what yeah, i mean lagunitas like. was already a pretty large brewery yeah they got acquired so i'm sure the there are people that were there for a long time that already felt it got corporate before heineken <laughs> came in and right. when you layer in heineken it probably got even more right. so they may not have even had necessarily the culture that the internal culture wasn't really the with the perception the, was, uh, the one that they portrayed I mean who knows though like I, I don't know anybody I know a couple people there but I haven't really talked to them about this specifically but you know I've, before I felt Lagunitas culture was Tony McGee right and which you don't really hear, hear much, much from, from Tony McGee yeah. yeah I know that the three of us took a trip out there and visited Chicago the Chicago plant um, and while I think that location had um, the, an element of what Lagunitas' culture was, it also felt manufactured okay. to me. Um, so it was like a fun visit, but uh, it almost felt like a caricature of what it was organically before. This is that. what people think mm -hmm. it should be, not... Yeah. That makes sense. Um, what are your thoughts on the... And I, don't, I still don't understand why it's considered a merger, but the that's just the Sam Adams dogfish head. Yeah, I don't think that's a merger. Yeah. <laughs> One company that's twenty times the size bought yeah. a smaller company. <laughs> I mean, uh, is it maybe called a merger than 
Sam is staying on board and is on the. I think it's just you know, in a, PR. Or, it's, it's, okay. that's, that's how you want to phrase it and uh, made it feel a little I softer. Mean, and I mean, it's probably it, it seems like that's a good combination. I mean, looking at it from the outside, it looks like a win-win for everyone involved. Right. I mean, Boston Beer. Sam Adams has been struggling for years. Um, they obviously have a great distribution network, manufacturing capabilities. Dogfish is a great brand that we've all been very familiar with for a long time since it's so close to home, but a lot of the country is not as familiar with it. So if you slap in the Dogfish brands into the Sam Adams distribution network, I think Dogfish can become something a lot bigger than what it is today. And Boston Beer kind of needed a beer to latch onto that could grow because Sam Adams hasn't been that. Yeah, yeah, they're seeing growth through like their Twisted Tea. Yeah, and I was reading something uh, last, spike, last the Truly, night that Truly is now yeah. third of the entire business. Oh, really? Yeah. Bigger well, than Angry Orchard, bigger than Sam Adams, bigger than anything other product they have, which is crazy because I don't know how long Truly's been around, but it feels like a year or two. Did they, um, did they come up with that themselves or did they purchase that? I think that's one of their products. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you know the first place that Sam Adams was brewed? Boston? Nope. Cincinnati? <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh. Yeah. I don't, I don't oh, know. Pittsburgh. like the Lion Brewing or what's that place called? Um, Pittsburgh Brewing Company. Uh, the, I think it was a, actually I'm going to stop there because I, now I'm just making stuff up. I'll stop at what I know and then, <laughs> and then just not make stuff up from there on. But I think it was where Iron City was brewed and it was Pittsburgh Brewing Company. Um, and then that's when, then they started going uh, elsewhere. I mean, I think it, back to your question on Sam Adams and Dogfish, I think it's also kind of cool for you know, two pioneers like Jim Cook and Sam to get together to take the next step yeah. together. I mean, who knows what's to come and their involvement as they grow older, but pretty cool to see those two get together. I mean, a hell of an exit strategy for a hell of an exit strategy for Sam as well. You know, now you get to sell your company. You're the second largest holder. You and your wife are the second largest holders in Sam Adams. And yeah. so that's pretty fucking freaking awesome. Brilliant, you know? brilliant move uh, on his part. Is um, is Jim much older than Sam? I think it so. Seems that way. Yeah, he may yeah. be so a generation older, but they, you know, uh, they've both in, been in craft beer for twenty years. Yeah. So. so that's what I've always, and I, I, I one of the articles I read that this was partially could be secession planning. That's possible. Like Sam is going to take the helm of the entire company mm-hmm. when Jim's ready to retire. Yeah, I could see that happening. Have you guys considered? Um, hard seltzer it seems like there's more and more um breweries that have started the toy with the idea or getting into that we considered it until i had one uh last like, <laughs> last week two weeks ago and uh, I, I took it off the table we like <laughs> making things that we like to drink yeah yeah <laughs> hard seltzer is not really hit it for us I don't know if I've ever had hard seltzer. I mean, honestly, at this point, like if you're not on the hard seltzer boat, I think you're off it. You know, I think it's too late. Okay. Honestly, but I did watch a really funny video making fun of white claw drinkers last week. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed that. (laughs) So it seems like white claw and truly are the two big brands now. And it's like, how are you going to, yeah. well, I, I think some of the places are doing it just as like uh, to serve in their tap room as an alternative to beer for anyone that comes. That yeah, you know, if if anything, I think we'd be more interested in seltzer, uh, soft soft seltzer. 
Um, Medium firm <laughs> seltzer. <laughs> yeah. The um, what about cider? Have you? And actually, I don't even know the process of making cider. Can you, if, if you're a brewery, can you just start making cider? Or you, they actually require? change the law, so now you can you can do okay. that. Um, but we work with Graph Cider uh, up in New York, and we okay. do collapse with them. And that's where we keep cider on in the tap room. I think we're more we we do want to have a, offer a cider as a gluten free option in the tap room. Um, but for us, it's not our area of expertise. It's not something that any of us are particularly passionate about. So we'd rather default to to those who are passionate about it and work with them. Have you um, looked into or used the enzyme at all that clears uh, gluten out of beer? We used it one time, and we got this really weird off flavor in okay. the beer, um, and we haven't used it since. And I'm kind of hesitant to use it because, like, John's wife is a celiac, and I know even if I use the gluten producing stuff, she wouldn't drink it. Um, and so if we're really going to make a gluten-free beer, I, I would prefer to use gluten-free materials. Um, because I don't want anybody coming in and saying, oh, well, this is gluten-free or it's gluten-reduced, I'll be fine, and then something happens. Yeah. yeah. The, um, there's a, in the new issue of Uncapped that just came out, we have an article that Rockwell and Frederick has been doing that, and they sent it to a lab to be tested, and it comes back well below what the designation, the, the parts per billion right. to be considered gluten-free. And the, I, the the one beer he did was one that they have regularly, and it tasted indistinguishable from the normal, yeah. in air quote, version of it. You know, having celiac uh, disease in my family and knowing a lot about it, um, you know, you can remove the gluten to under the parts per million, mm -hmm. um, but unless it's certified gluten-free you sh probably shouldn't be calling it gluten-free, but, yeah. you know, using that gluten-reduced terminology. Yeah, yeah. Um, because things that are, you know, somebody who says they're gluten-sensitive, which is legit, um, they may tolerate one of those fine. Um, yeah, the only time they've advertised as gluten-free was when they sent it to right. be certified. So, uh, you know, being safe for celiac, I think, is, is, is slightly different and okay. something that needs to be taken pretty seriously. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about that, but it, it, I just found it interesting that there was a way other than using um, different types of fermentables to make a gluten-free beer. Right. You know, it's tough with the, with the uh, you know, gluten-free grains to make a, a really well-made beer is, is, is a real challenge. Um, and I know some people have been fairly successful at it, but I think you really got to de be dedicated to figuring that yeah, out. Yeah, I, I have not enjoyed any of the ones that I've tried. I haven't either, to be honest. And the, the other <laughs> issue we run into is that we don't have separate equipment here to mash in with different stuff, so is green dust going to get in there that's going to cause a reaction? You know, it freaks me out when we start to get into Mess this, with like, people's medical yeah, issues. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're not, it, it's not like you're just saying it to because to yeah. make people feel f uh, better about their philosophy of how they're yeah, eating. No, yeah, I mean, this is to be somebody's actual, like life, you know, and so I don't yeah. really. I think I'm out of questions. Nothing, nothing else? Nothing no. else, Chris? No. Do you have any questions? Um, yeah. Um, can you tell me about this uh, beach drink? It, it's delicious and delightful. I agree. It is. Uh, who is who is this uh, handsome man on the can label? Uh, some dude that they saw walking down the street. Oh, really? Like he'd look good on there. I thought it was just like Tom Selleck twenty years later. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I feel like that was kind of mean. No, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I don't think that was a compliment. It was kind of a reverse compliment. <laughs> so that came about because when um, Brendan, the owner, of True, one of the owners of True Respite, after I described the idea um, for what we were going to make and came up with a name because I said I would be going to the beach and he was like that's the perfect name for it we'll call it beach drink and then he said I can just see you on the can holding a beachy looking drink with an umbrella with a straw and I was like that's what it has to be now mm-hmm. I've never wanted my face on a can of beer before I even thought about it but now that's all I want in my life more cans and of beer with your own face yeah, on it that's, all, that's mm-hmm. the only thing I live for now <laughs> I only drink <laughs> beer with my face on it and um, which it, I don't have much of it left, so I guess I'll have to stop drinking soon unless Kevin wants to make the Inception one. Or the Inception one, the yes. <laughs> <laughs> We can make it Tom Selleck 30 years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I did take it to the beach, and it is a really good uh, It's a perfect beer beach too. drink. I would agree. It's definitely a good beach drink. I, I, I spent more time drinking it in a pool than on the beach, but it did make a couple trips down to the beach. I thought about burying them every once in a while just so people could find them at some point. But then I thought, like, well, it has my picture on it and the name of two identifying things. I may not want to litter all over the <laughs> beach on the Outer Banks. <laughs> um so everyone should harass True Respite into making it again so that my face can live on yep. and I can die a happy man. If not, I'll probably be miserable if I never see We'll make it happen. My face on another beer. Um, but I actually, what you said I thought was one of the best compliments of this beer ever was that it reminded you of Tea Time because that is one of my favorite oh. beers ever. Nice, yeah. That was when Adam introduced me to the wonders of the unlabeled can. Right, right. <laughs> you brought some unlabeled cans. We didn't know yeah. what was in it, but <laughs> <laughs> we came and he's like, I brought this, this, and this, and this one's unlabeled. And there's always great stuff in the unlabeled one. It's true. And it was uh, peach, uh, peach tea, tea time. time. And yeah. It was amazing. Nice. So you should make that again. You'll uh, you'll like Nectar Collector when it comes out, peach, peach sour for our anniversary beer. Maybe I'll have to come to the anniversary party. Maybe you year. should come. Check it out. This is the year. Most of the times I haven't made it is because you opened the same weekend as Monocacy. Um, and they often have parties too, and I end up going there just because uh-huh. it's, it's a close. three minute drive instead of an hour. And I'm inherently lazy. So if, yep. if Graham agrees to drive me out here, I'll definitely go. <laughs> <laughs> he seems non committal. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> He's checking his calendar. Right, gentlemen, unless you have anything else you want to talk, do you have any exciting? Actually, we didn't, do you have any exciting beers coming up? But every beer we make is exciting. No, we do, do, you have do any actually. New exciting beers. Yeah, we do have some up. new. Uh, we just uh, sending out to the market today our uh, Bling Universe, our new IPL. It's our seasonal IPL. So we do a series of IPAs: Steady Eddie, Rye Baby, uh, Foxy, um, and so we finally added the summer one in this year. So that's uh, an IPL uh, Bling Universe collaboration with the Visionary Arts Museum. Um, and so we're really excited about it's that. It's a style I really love. It's a perfect, other than beach drink, it's the perfect uh, summer beer. This is a really perfect, like, hot August crusher. I mean, it's it's hoppy. It's so crisp and clean. I mean, it's just We probably should great. have tried some of that. We probably should have. Yeah. yeah. That would have been good planning. The I day's think. not over. 
What Stay else? tuned for part two. <laughs> Bling universe. Uh, what um, what else you got? Um, we've got some anniversary beers coming out that we'll talk about when we announce this. Um, what would those be? Uh, beers are for the anniversary. Um, and then... Uh, are those the anniversary beers? Those are the anniversary beers. When did those okay. come out? Uh, around the anniversary. Um, and then we have John's Pierre Saison that's over at 1.0 uh, for our rough drafts. That'll be out sooner than later. Um, we just released an, uh, a Belgian Golden that uh, Zandy, one of the brewers here, did. We did a Citra dip, uh, double IPA, the first hazy beer we've really done. Um, it's the best beer you've ever made. Right. Best beer I made. It's so funny. Dude. We put this hazy beer out and we get all these comp- you know, on untapped. It's all like, best beer union's ever made. It's delicious. Finally, they made a good beer. And it's like, <laughs> man, F you, you know? So. <laughs> well, I'm glad you decided to finally make a good beer. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you for um, taking the time to sit and talk to me. Uh, John, especially, so I could complete my collection of uh, union founders. I don't think this is the first time. This is absolutely the first time. I have a memory of me and John doing an interview with yeah. you. I am one hundred percent. It only took one hundred and thirty-nine episodes. I am positive. I am pretty sure me. episode one hundred and seventeen. I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, I could look. Graham could look that up real quickly, so we could tell you how wrong that is. Okay. All right. But. When I came, when you came, here, when here I came here, it was, was just no, it was just Kevin, right. only Kevin. Sure, right. positive. Right. He was supposed to, That's and wrong. then he couldn't. Maybe, and then that could be it. And then he was going to join me when I was with at the Baltimore Spirits Company. All oh, right, that I messed that one up. <laughs> <laughs> so. You must be thinking about the podcast that you listen to. Oh, right. And not right, this one. Right. That, uh, the good local podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I've received enough uh, criticism for this episode. Uh, so I want to thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, yeah, yeah, thank you everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. 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 The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.